Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Sam Parr, who's the co-founder of Hampton. And also the founder uh, and former CEO, uh, because he sold the company, but uh, the company was The Hustle, or is The Hustle, but is now owned by somebody and run by uh, the company who acquired it. So we'll get into that in a minute. But Sam, for those of you uh, who don't know, has uh, an incredible podcast, too, called My First Million, which is super, super great. I love listening to it. He's a serial entrepreneur known for founding, as I mentioned, The Hustle, which uh, I guess started out as a newsletter. I want to hear a little bit more about that, but definitely is a great community. I was fortunate to be able to go and join them at one point, and that's how Sam and I met, uh, where I spoke there. And they were acquired by HubSpot in 2021. And he, as I mentioned, also has a terrific podcast you have to check out. And now he started a brand new company, which we're going to dig into called Hampton. So I'm thrilled to hear more about Sam's journey. So welcome. What's going on? I'm excited. Let's do it. Super psyched. So uh, so I'd love to hear like about the early years. I don't even know that much about you. It was funny. I was doing a little research. I'm like, I want him to tell me about this. Yeah. I'll give you like the medium version. Basically, I'm from Missouri, went to college in Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee. While there, I uh, worked for this guy named Mike Wolf, who's like the main guy from the TV show American Pickers. Do you remember that show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I met Mike and I asked him for a job, he gave me a job, and I learned through entrepreneurship through him. Eventually, while in college, I started a chain of hot dog stands called Southern Sam's Wieners as Big as a Baby's Arm. And that was like my college... Yeah, that was my college job was this like hot dog stand that I had in a bunch of different locations. Then I learned about the internet and I cold emailed Brian Chesky. And at the time, this was in 2011, 2012-ish, they were just getting going. And I was like, uh, I could help Airbnb grow by doing this, 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 and this. And he probably was like, yeah, I know. But he was impressed that I like cold emailed them. And so they eventually brought me out to interview. So I got the job. I went back to Tennessee and I sold all my stuff and left school a little bit early. I eventually finished online, but I like sold all my stuff. I moved out to San Francisco the day before I'm supposed to get the job and start. They called me and they go, you lied on your resume. Basically, I had um, uh, I got a DUI in college and I don't drink anymore. I'm completely sober. I've, I've not drank in, in, drank in nine years, but in college, I was a wild guy and I did a lot of 
dumb and stupid stuff. And they go, we don't hire liars. And I said, you're absolutely right. That I don't blame you. So I was out in San Francisco with like nothing. Uh, and so I eventually started a roommate matching business that was only very mildly successful. Like I made like 50 grand and, and, and enough to pay myself basically. But we had a very small exit. And with the very small amount of money I had saved up, I started this thing called HustleCon, which was like a conference for startup founders. And it went well. It made like 60 grand in six weeks. And then I went and traveled the country on my motorcycle. And then I got back and I did it again. It made like almost 200,000 in profit in the next eight weeks. I would like basically host it when I wanted to make money. And I grew that conference through a newsletter that I created. And I was like, well, conferences are not the way to go. Like if it rains, you're screwed. So I was like, well, this newsletter thing could be cool. Let's start a business there. And so in 2016, I started this thing called The Hustle, which was a daily or still is a daily newsletter. It's like when I was 25 when I started it. So I called it like Wall Street Journal, but tech oriented and for 25 year olds. And uh, I grew that and bootstrapped it. And we ended up selling it after four years for tens of millions of dollars to HubSpot. Now, uh, The Hustle is read by about three and a half million people a day. Um, Amazing. And it's called HubSpot Media and it has like a hundred or something like that employees. It's like a great thing. And then um, I still host the podcast that The Hustle owned, but we sold called My First Million. And then I've started a, a handful of things since then. But that's kind of the origin. That's awesome. So you don't own the podcast anymore. I sold it and I get paid. I say it's almost like Howard Stern. Like uh, I get paid like a fee based on how well it does to host it. Oh, interesting. Super interesting. So you continued, though, to do the events, right? Yeah, we, we did all types of events. So we would do events. We called them brand building and marketing that didn't lose money because it would make a profit. But like it, it wasn't that big of a deal. But we would do HustleCon, which was like our big event. And we would have like two to 3,000 people. We would do... Which I think you spoke at one of those. But you also spoke at... We would do these smaller ones where we would get two or 300 people on a you know Thursday night to come. And this is like a insider story that listeners might like. Kara spoke at one of them and you said one line or something that was really cool that I liked. So I wrote an article with that one line and just quoted you throughout the story. And I think we like posted it and for some reason it went viral and Hint ended up making a ton of money off of this article. But that was from an event that you spoke at. Yeah. No. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Oh, it, it, that was a crazy, crazy story. Yeah, it was like one of your happy hour beer things. I can't remember what you called it. Yeah, we called them. So when I didn't have any money, we would call it pizza and 40s because 40 right. ounce beers are cheap. So we would right. like have like free drinks and pizza because we didn't have any money. And so we called it pizza and 40s. And Kara spoke at one and told the story. And it was like, she called, you called the Coke executive uh, pitching the idea of Hint. And the Coke executive was like, Listen, what did he say? It was condescending. It was like, listen, sweetie, America's Americans want sugar or something like that. And that was the headline. It was like, listen, America, up, sweetie. Like, Americans, Americans want sweet. And uh, and I, yeah. yes, listen, sweetie, Americans like sweet. And so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. And people asked me for years, why didn't I hang up the phone on him? Why didn't I tell him to F off or 
And I was so stunned that he, like, I thought it was like, wait, did he just call me sweetie? And then also he just took the name sweetie and then tied it to sweet. Like, I don't know, my brain was playing all these games. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, wait, I got to zero in. And what I was realizing after he said that statement was that he really was drinking his own Kool-Aid. Like he really believed that the world was more focused on calories than they were on not having sweet. And we had this and we had the same thing. Like we had a we had a CEO of a very large media company that you probably know. And I told him what I was going to do. And he was like, this is never going to make more than $2 million a year in revenue. And when we sold, we were doing like $2 million a month in, in yeah. revenue. I mean, we had like we had we had the same like so a lot of cool stuff gets dismissed early on. Yeah, no, it was crazy. Well, and then what was super nuts, you're right. We you guys wrote an article off of that and uh helped us out on on that. And then we posted it on Facebook. And then Facebook had just started their algorithms and they said that they were concerned that people would think that our drink was sweet. So we uh they took the article down at one point because they were like, you're confusing the consumer. And we were like, wait, what? I mean, this is the craziest, craziest argument. That article, I don't remember how it ended, but that article, I remember like for a while, it had like three or four million, I mean, like millions of views. Millions. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely, it was absolutely nuts. So you guys did such an awesome job. So you sold the company to HubSpot. And how did you decide to sell? So when I started my company, like I didn't, I didn't come from money or anything like that. But I always wanted money because, like, I remember my mother like buying braces for me, and she like swiped her debit card, and it was like two grand. And I kind of knew this at the time, but she didn't know that I know. But she only had like six thousand dollars, and I was like, "That's effing crazy! I can't believe a I'm so gracious. Like you did this for me, and b like I don't want to be in that position. Yeah, uh, you know, not to uh, this is not disparaging to my mother at all, by the way. But I was like, I want to be able to like provide like and, and not have to sweat that stuff, and so. I wanted to make a certain amount of money by the age I was 30 because I figure that would be like a great way to set me up. And so I built the business kind of reverse engineering to kind of get to that number. And then also COVID happened and I had gotten sick. I had Lyme disease and like my face was paralyzed. I had Bell's palsy, which is like half, <sighs> your, half your face. It's like scary. And so I remember COVID happening. There was like all these riots and then I was sick and I was like, I need to pull the trigger now and like get some type of security because if this business goes under... I have nothing. Like everything I have is in this business, and so HubSpot reached out to me, and my they emailed me and some like vague message, and I was like, I don't really understand what partnership means. Just tell me, do you want to buy us? And they go, Yeah, we want to buy you. I go, Great. Here's a Google Doc. It explains all the reasons why you don't want to buy me. If that is no big deal to you, call me. And they were like, Yeah, no big deal. Like everything is expected. Let's do it. And so they called me, and I decided to sell to them because. Um, it kind of hit the number that I wanted. I was sick at the time and, all, and the world was falling apart. Looking back, you know, we would be worth today like north of $100 million. I mean, we'd be worth a lot more today, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the decision. And so uh, I just kind of like work backwards from a goal that I set when I was younger. Side hustles are all the rage these days. And why not? It's an easy way to make money, whether your side hustle is e-commerce, affiliates, newsletters, or chat GPT. Now is the time to make your dream become a reality. And here is where Hostinger comes in. Hostinger offers high-quality, 
web hosting services with all the resources you need to succeed online. Interested in setting up a new website? Setting up that initial website is super easy and extremely intuitive with Hostinger. You can launch a WordPress website in one click or use Hostinger's drag-and-drop website builder. Worried you might not be able to get the look you want? Don't be. With over 150 beautiful and fully customizable templates to choose from, they've got you covered. And as I said, Hostinger makes it ridiculously simple to make it all happen, whether you are a newbie or a pro. They can even help you create a free logo in seconds using their AI logo maker. It's really all pretty awesome. I've personally used Hostinger and was able to set up a website with lots of cool templates, and it was pain-free. Whether you're interested in setting up a website like I did with Hint Water or creating that newsletter that you've always dreamed about, Hostinger is a great option for anyone who wants a straightforward choice. Sign up now for one incredible offer. Go to hostinger.com slash Kara Golden. That's K-A-R-A. G-O-L-D-I-N, to get everything you need to create a website for under $3 per month. As a special bonus for all the Kara Golden Show listeners, use promo code Kara Golden to get an extra 10% off. That's hostinger.com slash Kara Golden. So like, what's the best way to sell a business? I've had more entrepreneurs ask me, do you hire a banker? Is it your network? Do you wait for people to call you? Is it, uh, what, what would you say? So the hustle is interesting because we're a media company. So like by nature, our business is like getting attention. Mm-hmm. So we had a bunch of attention. So that may not apply to everyone. but And the attention that we had were people who actually would be making decisions to buy companies. So that's a little bit of an unfair advantage. One time we had a company that wanted to buy us and I hired a banker and we went and pitched to a bunch of other companies and it was a miserable experience. I hated it. And then HubSpot came uh, through a cold email. It was just a cold email and uh, from a guy named James Gilbert who worked in corporate development or something. He just cold emailed me and I said, all right, let's talk. And he cold emailed me in October. We had sold by February and um, I didn't hire a banker because I was like, uh, guys, like I've been through this before. I'm not, ne- I'm not going to negotiate. Here's the number. Here's the conditions that I want. Uh, and if that scares you away, let's just stop talking now because it's going to waste both our times. And they go, that's great. And I said, all right, cool. We're going to be honest with each other throughout this whole process. I'm going to like tell you everything you need to know. I won't hide anything. And I want you to be honest with me. I don't want you to fool around and like do all this stuff. And they were great. They were awesome. And because they're such a big company, you know, HubSpot at the time was worth 10 or $15 billion. They have a board of directors and like they have a huge reputation and they make a billion dollars a year. They weren't going to like nickel and dime me and like all this stuff because they they want to have a reputation as a good buyer. And I knew that. And I was like, this is awesome. We're totally on the same page. And so they just cold emailed me. And then me and my like accountant who worked at The Hustle in secret put together this massive data room, got all this data that they needed. And it was terribly hard. It was like the hardest three months of my life. It was a three. So basically in October, they hollered. In November, we signed a letter of intent, which gives you roughly 90 days to do due diligence. Mm-hmm. And due diligence is miserable. Like, they're like, we want five year projections. And I'm like, man, my company's only four years old. Like, I don't think five years, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, and so you got to like throw together these projections and then you got to defend them. And then we'd be on the phone with like me and Edie, who is my accountant, and then like eight of their lawyers and then eight of their accountants all throwing questions at us. Like, and I'm like, I, 
I don't know the answers to all these, but you don't want to look embarrassing to your people or in front of them. And so uh, we just went back and forth for three months. And then it closed on February 1st or 2nd or something like that. And it was like the greatest day ever because the money was cool. But I was like, it's done. Finally, I don't have to be in secret because HubSpot's a publicly traded company. So like, I barely even told my parents. I was like, I'm, I'm selling the company. And they're like, who? And I'm like, I don't even want to tell you. It's publicly traded. There's like weird laws around this. Uh, and so it was like super secretive. But the day before the deal closed, Axios wrote an article about it. And I was freaking out. I was like, who told, you know, what happened? Yeah. And so uh, it was like, there was constant ups and downs. Looking back, it was mostly all ups. Like, there was no reason for me to freak out. But when like 100% of your net worth is tied into this thing, it's like, what if they find out that I told them we had never been sued, but then like I forgot that one time someone emailed us saying you used one of my photos on your on your blog and we had to pay them a thousand dollars as an apology. Like I'm like, what if they find out? What if did I do something wrong? You know what I mean? Or like little things like that. And I was like, is this gonna ruin the deal? Yeah. And it was just so stressful. So looking back on on that time, do you think that it was like why do you think they bought you? To, I mean, to get bigger, obviously. I mean, they, but when you think about like yeah. what was most interesting to them? So I always thought we had media companies want to buy us, but I don't like media, a lot of media companies because like they're really tough to work. Like they're not fun places to be. I always thought like a, before WeWork became like kind of a bad company or, uh, you know, like whatever scandal, I always thought like a WeWork should buy us. Someone selling a product should buy us, mm -hmm. not someone who, and, and HubSpot reached out and they were the first people that had the courage to do that. And so they bought us because at the time we had 1.8 or something million subscribers and they advertised with us and they made a ton of money off of it. And HubSpot is famous because, you know, they sell software to small businesses that makes like, I don't know what it costs exactly for everyone, but 20 grand a year or something. And they're like, we built this amazing blog that gets like, you know, millions of people, but like we've reached a ton of people. We need to reach new people. What if we just bought the hustle and had our own audience? And also another thing that I didn't realize, I didn't realize two things. One, it's hard to build an audience. I didn't realize it was hard because I was doing it. And I was like, well, it's not that hard. But looking back, it is quite challenging. And number two, when you're a company like HubSpot, which maybe they had three or 4,000 employees at the time, it's really hard to create something internally. Uh, like there's politics. There's also like no clear leader or no entrepreneur to like take on the risk and look stupid in, in front of their bosses and things like that. And so they bought us because they wanted my audience and also because they liked our culture of like creating quickly and they wanted that ingrained. And so a lot of my staff is still there. And HubSpot Media is now like 100 or 75 people or something like that. And that culture is still kind of in, 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 the, in the business. So interesting. And so, and you didn't stay. Well, so it was kind of complicated because right when we were in the process of selling, I had just hired a CEO. Hmm. And I was like, you guys, I hired the CEO because I've gotten the, I grew the business. Like the year we sold, we were going to do about 20 million in revenue. I was like, I grew it to a good size, but I can't, I'm past my personal skill set. My skill set is content. So I'll stay and make content via the podcast, but I'm not going to be running the company anymore. And they said, yeah, that's great. Uh, because they probably didn't, they didn't say this to me, but I imagine they were thinking like, yeah, that's awesome because people like you typically screw it up. Uh, and so it, they were like, that is exactly what we want. That's cool to hear you say it. So I was I was pretty much out operationally on day one. And I reported to the CEO who I'd hired 
but I, and I didn't have any reports. So it was like, a, and I just made the podcast. So did you feel like it was better for you just to leave anyway and let them kind of figure it out? Like, I think sometimes if, if the founder is around it, it, you know, you're watching people do things differently or that, or I should say not yeah. the founder, but also the CEO. I've talked to many people who have gone through acquisitions and no matter what industry it is, I think it's just very difficult. It's difficult emotionally, but like people are like, well, this company is my baby. And in my head, I'm like, nah, my baby will be my baby. Mm -hmm. My company is not my baby. My company is a job that I love. But like if it dies, like I'm going to be really sad, but I'll live. Uh, And so like it was, uh, you know, that's kind of my attitude. But, you know, like to brag a little bit, I built a great company. I had really good people at the company. We we had great processes. So it was like going to sustain and grow like if an idiot was running it. The CEO who I hired, Jordan, mm-hmm. is amazing. He's actually now the CEO of my new company. And so he like kicked ass in the role. But uh, no, I wasn't sad leaving. I was happy. I, I was I was freaking exhausted. I was worn out. I remember like the first two weeks after the sale, I remember thinking like for the last four or five years, I've been like partially blind and I just put on eyeglasses for the first time. And I was like, to my wife, I was like, is this how the world is? You don't like stress out all the time. Like I could finally see like, you're not freaking out. I like I, you know, you have we bootstrap. So I had like PTSD typing CH into my web bar because that's chase.com and like looking at the bank balance, like, even though we were a great company, like I still had these anxieties. Yeah. And so the, the, the six months after the sale, I was like the happiest person on earth, because I was like, finally, I have security. Like, I'm not like, you know, like if something if there's a pandemic, like I'm not gonna necessarily die. Yeah. It, it, I was as I was researching you a little bit more. We're going to get into Hampton in just a second. One of the things uh, that I read that you said that uh, you've hired a CEO. You just talked about this. Is this Jordan for Hampton as well? Yeah, Jordan DPH. We hired him at the Hustle and in my most recent thing. So you are obviously a founder, and you have run a company up to a certain point. It was interesting. I ended up having a conversation with uh, Richard Branson, which I thought was really, really interesting that the only company he's ever run is Virgin Cola. And obviously being the beverage person that I'm known for, uh, we got into that whole, you know, all the nightmares of running a beverage company, which didn't do so well in the end, Virgin, according to him, right? And that was the only company that he's run. Otherwise, he is a founder. He creates the idea. That's where he has the most fun. But his goal in life is just to create, right? And launch these companies and then have other people run them. And is that kind of similar to sort of what you, how you think about the world as well? Well, I remember like reading about like Mark Zuckerberg and all these like famous young people who like started stuff and ran it. And I was like, that's how you have to do it. And then I remember feeling like inadequate. I was like, I don't think I have the ability to do that. I don't know how they do that. And then I like talked to some other people and they're like, you know, that's like, that's pretty rare. And I, and I started to realize that like the skills. So I'm, I'm like, I would say I'm really good at going from zero to like three or 5 million in revenue really, really, really fast. That's my skill set. I'm also really good at hiring, but I think I am capable of running a company that's like big, but it's it doesn't fit my skill set and it doesn't fit my personality because the stuff that requires you to get to like five million in revenue, the skill set and the and the personality traits often are like the opposite of what it takes to run something nicely. Because 
to start stuff, you have to be really good at adapting. You have to be good at improvising. You have to be good at kind of faking things and just figuring out and just feeling it's, I call it a vibe. It's an art, you know, like it's like you kind of like do things that don't make sense and they actually work out. Sometimes they don't, but you just kind of feel it out. I'm really good at that. To run something, you need to be very organized. You need to be very consistent. You need to be pretty level-headed. I'm very emotional. I, I have really highs, highs and low lows. Um, you need to be pretty stoic. You need to like not get rattled easily. But like those are typically opposite traits. Like most people, I think Zuckerberg probably has both. Most people don't have that. Mm-hmm. I don't have I don't have that. Same with Richard Branson. Richard Branson, I don't know him, but I've read his books. I have a feeling if I I wouldn't be surprised if he's like bipolar or something like that, where he has like where he gets really sad for a long period of time and super happy for a long period of time. And he's like an artist. Like he's crazy. If you read his book, he like will skip out of town for two weeks and do X, Y, and Z. A good CEO can't do that. Uh, but like a creative who comes up with these stupid ideas that actually work. I mean, like who would have thought this record guy was going to start a, well, he was a magazine guy to a record guy to an airline. Like that doesn't make sense at all, but it ends up making sense. And so like typically the people who are good at that aren't good at like checking the boxes and sweat the details when it comes to like, uh, you know, making sure that like your, uh, your payroll set up nicely. Yeah, no, he's, he's very good at many of the things that you talked about hiring people, bringing people in. But I think his feeling is that he still has stayed involved, you know, in those companies. And he still, because he feels like, you know, the, the founder really does at every stage of, of growth helps the company to grow and helps to see around corners. Um, but the day to day, Anyway, I thought it was a fascinating uh, way to sort of look at businesses because... And, and by the way, I'm heavily involved in everything. I think so too, that, yeah. Like, no, I, yeah, I'm heavily involved. I still, I'm like employed at the places where I hired CEOs. I say I'm employed. It's my job still. It's not like I just go on vacation and no, just totally. move off. But I um, like there's this, I, I think that like mostly it's emotional stuff. Like I just don't like, man, to run something, it, let's say that you have 100 employees and they're all 80% of them are super pumped. 20% of them have something to complain about. That's one complaint a day that you're going to get. And for someone like me, if someone comes to me complaining about something, it bothers me. Like I think about it and I'm like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. I feel guilty. I, I, or they're wrong. I'm angry at them. You would have one of those conversations a day. And there's some personality types that like it doesn't rattle them. For me, I get rattled and that's not good for a CEO. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, it, it was something about that conversation that I really, I, I don't think enough people sort of focus on that and think about, you know, how does the founder fit in, right? At when you are growing, because I think that then it starts to really get sort of hiccups in there. But I, I think that what you're doing and staying involved um, for the vision and and helping with strategy and helping where um, things, you know, need a little bit more attention, I think, is really, really key. So, so let's talk about the Hampton and uh, Hampton. Hampton, drop the the. No, the drop Hampton. The. Okay, we got rid of the the with hustle. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah. now it's it's just Hampton. Talk to me about that. What is it? So, it's a community for CEOs. Maybe eventually one day we'll have different job titles, but right now it's CEOs. And basically, when I was in San Francisco starting the hustle, I had this community of like five other CEOs and founders who I would meet with once a month. And we would discuss like our net worth like, is it going up or is it going down? And what are you doing with your money? We would talk about like, I got to lay someone off. How do I do this the, the, the legal and ethical way? Or we would talk about, I'm selling my company. How do I have this conversation? We would talk about all these things that you can't have conversations about in public or with certain types of people. 
And that group changed my life. And so with Hampton, uh, we created a way for all types of founders to have those conversations. And so basically, you apply, we vet you, we research you, we interview you, we let in like 8% of the people who apply, you get put into an eight person cohort or a core group where you meet with a facilitator, an executive facilitator once a month with your group and all groups have similar size companies. And so it's like your time to like, almost like business group therapy. And then we have like a Hampton wide community. And then we have dinners and events all over the country all the time. So you can go and hang out and meet your people. So it's almost like business group therapy meets like a peer group, things like that. And uh, I launched it, I started working on it in July, very secretly. We didn't tell anyone that we were doing it. We got a lot of customers and we built it into a good business very quickly. And then we launched publicly like two weeks ago. And then we got like maybe 5,000 people wanting to join. Wow. Um, and uh, we charge $8,500 a year. And uh, I think it's going to be a great thing. So it, it, is it all C-suite? I mean, do you have to be the like with with YPO, you have to be the CEO of the company. So yes. is that similar with your? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's revenue. Uh, there's like requirements. So you have to have at least like two or three million in revenue. You have to have or you have to have raised a certain amount of money or you have to have sold the company. Um, you have to be like running the company at the time and things like that. Um, and then we interview you. So you got to be nice and like, uh, you know, eager to join. You can't be rude. We have people who have joined who are like rude and we're like, man, you can't, we're, we're not going to welcome you. Um, and so, um, yeah, so right now it's people running companies. I could see it one day soon, not soon, one day where we have like Hampton for CTOs or CFOs or whatever. But yeah, it's very similar to YPO. The difference is, is that our audience is younger. Mm -hmm. So YPO has a lot of uh, folks who uh, uh, are in non-tech businesses. Like, for example, maybe someone who owns a bunch of apartment buildings. Or maybe me. Someone who, <laughs> well, well, so yeah. what, what I'm going to say is we are uh, uh, just a hair younger, but we also are tech-enabled. And so Hint, it's not technically a tech company. Yeah. But if you explained it, if you explained Hint to someone who had no idea about the internet, they'd be like, oh, it sounds like a tech company. So we're tech enabled, meaning digital companies, people who sell stuff online usually. So not necessarily real estate, not necessarily manufacturing, not necessarily. So Hint would be perfect, but also like a Hint, Casper, whatever, but then also like software companies. So it's 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 tech-ish companies. One of, are you in YPO? No, no I'm not. not in YPO, but my, my partner Joe is, and he loves it. One of the things that I think has been, I've been in YPO for, I don't know, 15 years now. I've been in for a long time. But one of the things that I think is really powerful is uh, is training that they do. Have you ever heard about the forum training? Oh, well, yeah, they like make you sit through like an eight hour thing and they teach you how to like receive feedback and give feedback and things like that. Well, the about? key thing that I learned in that is that if you give people advice and let's say then you go to the next meeting and then they don't do what you say, you're sort of you like sitting there going, you know, I just spent my time with this person telling them what they should do and they didn't do it. And now there's still a problem. So why am I going to waste my breath? And so they teach you to kind of think about a problem and really like when have you when have you had to deal with something similar? And so you storytell through I think they call it shared experience. Right. They go, don't give advice, share experience. And I and I think like when I first did that training, I didn't get it. 
right? Like I thought, oh God, I have to sit here for eight hours or whatever it is. But as time has gone on, I think it's a really powerful thing because then you start to think about, okay, well, Sam just told me the story about selling a company and he's told me all these little pieces that maybe I'm not doing those things or maybe, um, you know, whatever it is. Then I come up with my own uh, pieces to solve my own problem. And I think like that, it's it's just a really powerful way to get people thinking about it. And if if a group is, I was in a forum for um, a few years and then people ended up moving. And so our forum kind of broke up, but, uh, but it was really powerful because when it gets going, you really can see the energy in the room and really yeah. seeing a lot get done. So are, are you doing geographic or is it by Zoom or how are you setting these groups? Up? Yeah, right now it's all online, but we have lots of uh, like dinners happening and retreats and things like that. We're trying to figure out how we're going to balance in-person and digital. But right now it's digital. Um, but I think we're going to lean more into in-person soon. Uh, but we're very young. So my opinion is this is going to be a huge company as long as we don't screw it up. It's not like it's not one of those companies where I have to prove that there's demand. I know there's demand uh, and it's ours to lose. So how do you know if it's successful? I mean, this is not just for Hampton, but also for any business. How do you know? I, I mean, is it based on growth? Is it based on, I mean, how do you measure success? Happiness? I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's such a well, challenging thing for people. That's a good question. I think, I think that even when things are working, it feels like it doesn't. Uh, so like, even when like from the outside, if you would see the hustle or any other project I'm doing, you're probably sometimes people think it's going well. And in my head, I'm like, no, it's horrible. This stinks, this stinks, and this stinks. And so it, you have to like uh, uh, think about from an outsider's perspective or look at how much you've grown. And you're like, oh, wow. Uh, previously, I would react this way to this conversation. Or our users are up this amount. Or if I was here, if you would have told me I would have been here five years ago, I would have been ecstatic. And so that like makes you happier. But I don't think... I feel like it's kind of like working out or like running a marathon. Even when you get really fast, it's still hard work and it, you still, it's pretty painful. It doesn't matter if you run the marathon in two hours and 30 minutes or three hours. Like it's still pretty painful every time, um, but you just kind of get faster. And that's kind of how I've felt throughout my career, which is like, it's pretty much hard all the time. Although starting a company, a new company, when your entire net worth isn't in the business is definitely a happier place to do it <laughs> because like, with me personally, I'm pretty conservative. So I felt like I was always on the defensive. I didn't want to like spend a lot of money. Now that like, it's like, well, if this goes away, I don't care. I'm, I'm, my family's fine. Like it's actually helping me make the company better because I can like take more risks. Uh, so that's like a big thing. But like when you're running a company, when like everything is in it, like you're stressed all the time and it doesn't feel like you're winning a lot, at least in my opinion, when I was running it. So you have a co founder. Uh, co obviously you are pro co-founder uh, in companies. Is that is? Do you think that's the way you do things going forward? You always find a co-founder. So I've got like little things, like I've got real estate that I own, or I've got like little side projects that I like to own one hundred percent of, and that's my playground. When I was starting this business, I worked with Joe because I was lonely, and it was really. F and I met Joe, and we have known each other for five or six years, and we were very like. 
we had shared intimate information with each other. Like we shared like, oh, I'm bummed about this or I'm thinking about proposing to my girlfriend. What do you think about this ring? And like, we like, or like, here's my net worth. Like, what, what should I do? Like, we were like, we like, we're fairly intimate with each other. And I realized that we had the same values, but we had opposite personalities. And I thought that that was awesome. And when I was starting working on like the Hampton and the idea, I was really lonely. And I was like, man, this would be so much more exciting if I had someone who I wanted to share these experiences with. And so that's why we wanted to partner. Uh, It's just less lonely. So it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I probably could not have done what we've done without him, or I definitely couldn't have because he's far more operational and tech savvy than I am. But uh, it's just lonely, man. Having a partner like you, partnered with your husband i actually am envious of that me and sarah partner on some stuff that we do like little projects uh it's just lonely going at it alone really it's less it's less fun and so joe and i what we did was i go all right homework tell me where you want to be in 10 years tell me what motivates you tell me what makes you angry tell me what makes you happy how much money do you want to have uh what size team do you want who do you want to hire how much you want to pay them and we each did this and we brought it together and we're like wow these are really aligned it sounds like we want similar things we're willing to give up similar things to do it we're not willing to do certain things to do it uh and so it was very it was almost like a like a like a like a marriage where you like outline early on like so you want to live in New York cool I want to live in California this isn't going to work or oh we both want to live in the same place we both want to raise our kids in this religion we both want to do this that's awesome uh, we can compromise on the rest of the stuff but the main stuff is aligned that's amazing and to think like when you were doing the hot dog stands I mean it, like you've you've come a long way I mean and and I'm not saying that in in some like awful uh, way at all. But I mean, you, you know, the way you're thinking about building businesses, the way you're, um, you know, owning that it does get lonely to be a founder and you've decided that you can be better when you have a co-founder, like all of those things. I mean, it's, it's just, it's amazing. Well, I got really lucky because I got to hang out with like, so you spoke, so we hosted, we've had hundreds of speakers at our events and I would hang out with you before a little bit and then after a little bit. And then I would text you stuff. And then like uh, at HustleCon, we would tell our speakers, all right, you have to speak at three, but you have to be there at noon for mic check. But here's a secret. There was no mic check. The mic worked. The mic worked. We, there was no mic check. Yeah. No, the, it wouldn't even work that way. But I really told them that so I could have them backstage with the other speakers and I could just listen and hear what they would say. And I would meet these people who had like billion dollar companies or billion or they were billionaires. And I remember thinking in most cases, I'm like, well, you're not a, you know 20 times smarter than me, but you're definitely 20 times more successful than me. And yet you're telling me that you're afraid to fire this person because the confrontation freaks you out. Or you're telling me that you're out here fundraising and getting all these news articles about you, but you're not sure if it's going to work and you can't sleep. Like It just made me realize that like success is not necessarily like raw brain power. In some cases it is, but not all. a lot of times. It's, oftentimes it's just you're still fearful and you still feel like you're not going to be able to do it but you do it anyway. And so I had so much confidence hanging out with people or I earned confidence hanging out with people like you and other people where I'm like, this person's a bit smarter or a bit dumber, but like they're way better than I am at their job. Like I could do that too. And so I, I was really lucky for that reason. No, that's great. It reminds me of there's an old uh, Steve Jobs video. I'll, I'll send you later if you haven't seen it. But he said that, you know, the day you realize that no one is any smarter than you, that's the day that you'll actually find success. 
And it's, it's awesome, right? Yeah. It's like, like a really empowering thing. You just have to figure out how to get enough confidence and get an, get your curiosity ignited to go and figure stuff out. And I think that's and, key. And some people, by the way, are smarter. Like I've hung out with some people like Darmesh. From, Darmesh is the founder of HubSpot or uh, like the founder of Grammarly. You know Grammarly, mm-hmm. like the typo thing? Yeah. I've hung out with with him and I remember thinking like, Oh yeah, we're you're just smarter than me. Like there's things that you could think about that don't make sense to me. Or I've heard conversations with Jeff Bezos and I'm like, damn, you're 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 IQ, you just have more horsepower than I. Like, no matter how hard I try, I will not run as fast as you in the sprint, no matter what. But I could still run pretty fast, or I could still achieve a whole lot of stuff and be very happy and proud of my work. But uh like there are some people who are just, they're just smarter, but most people we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, no, definitely. So best advice you've ever received, maybe in one of these uh, backstage conversations about building your company or somewhere along the way. I was very, uh, what's the word, impressionable is uh, where you like listen to everyone's advice. And someone told me, uh, be very careful with whose advice you actually follow because everyone has an opinion. And I remember someone told me that and I... Uh, because previously, I when I was in Silicon Valley, someone's like, "Oh, everyone raises money," so I'm like, "Oh, I have to do that." And then I someone taught me that, and I was like, "No, I don't." There's a million ways to get it done. I don't have to follow your advice. I don't have to follow this other person's advice. So that was really big. Another person, well, I read Henry Ford about Henry Ford, and he has this cool quote where he says, "If you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're probably right." So true. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sam. This was amazing. And we miss you in the Bay Area. Uh, but we, uh, I watch every and listen to everything that you're doing and very excited. Everybody needs to check out Hampton for sure. And uh, we'll stay in touch with you. Absolutely. Uh, too. Thank you very much. I got to take a nap after this. This is I just this is you're, you're fa- this is fast paced. <laughs> very, very fast. So thanks so much, Sam. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. 
And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.